0: It's time for America Outdoors Radio, the show that covers the outdoor scene across the U.S. of A. and the entire continent. Fishing, hunting, conservation, outdoor recreation, and great destinations, we cover it all every week. It's your country, your outdoors. Let's explore it together with your host, John Cruz.
1: Welcome aboard. It looks like fall finally arrived for much of the United States with a weather front that has pushed through the past week, bringing cool weather, rain, and in some cases snow with it too. Some folks will be bummed about this, but hunters by and large are pretty happy. It's a lot easier to hunt deer and elk on wet ground as opposed to dry ground where you're crunching on leaves and making noise with every step. The cooler weather should also. Help improve things for bird hunters too. Pheasant and quail tend to hold tighter when it's cold and wet out, and the duck migration should start as well in some areas, kickstarting what was for many, myself included, a slow opening week of waterfowl hunting. Speaking of hunting, we're going to talk a bit about quail hunting this week when we get Jared Wicklin back on the air. Jared's not only the public relations manager for Pheasants Forever, but also for Quail Forever and we'll be highlighting some of the states featured in this year's annual quail hunting forecast. There's definitely going to be some good hunting in several states and a little more challenging conditions in others, but we'll do our best to steer you to some good hunting no matter what state you look for quail in. We'll leave the thickets, brambles, and sagebrush-holding quail to head north to Alaska for our other two guests. The first one is George Crumb. He's the editor of Fish Alaska Magazine, and one of his favorite places to fish is the Knack Neck River near King Salmon. He goes there just about every year. swing a fly and see how many big i mean really big 30 plus inch rainbow trout he can catch and release out of there he'll tell you all about this fishery and some potential challenges facing it in the future Our other Alaska-based guest we're talking to is Rich Wheeler. He's the owner of Senasi Seafood, and he has a processing plant in Cordova, Alaska. He's going to weigh in on the disastrous crab situation unfolding in Alaska's Bering Sea. The snow crab population there has declined by 90% since 2018, and the red king crab population is on the ropes here as well. It's so bad that crabbing has been closed for both species in the Bering Sea, which has huge economic consequences for those who make a living crabbing, for those who support that fishery, and for those of us who enjoy eating these delicious crustaceans. Rich will give you his take on what's going on in the Bering Sea and whether any of us will be able to buy crab out of Alaska this fall and winter. Last week, we trotted out a new segment. I asked for your opinion on it, and we got some good feedback. So once again, it's time for fishing and hunting reports from around the nation. Our first stop is in Kentucky, where the hybrid striped bass bite is on. Lee McClellan, writing for Kentucky Field, says these bass are created in hatcheries by breeding white bass with pure striped bass, which are then stocked into rivers and reservoirs around the state. McClellan says fall is arguably the best time to fish hybrid striped bass bite willingly into the winter. If you're looking for some places to go, here's a few suggestions. The Ohio River is one of the best places to fish for hybrid striped bass. The falls of the Ohio, the natural river barrier that helped make Louisville a prominent city, is a highly productive area for these fish, and it's historic as well. Kentucky stocks roughly 700,000 hybrid striped bass in the Ohio River every year. As for how to catch them, Chase Winninger with Kentucky Field TV says cast downstream of the ramp with chicken livers or cut bait. Anglers may bank fish for hybrid at the falls of the Ohio State Park on the Indiana Bank, too. Kentucky anglers can also fish the Indiana Bank of the Ohio River, and they only need their valid Kentucky fishing license to do so. South Central Kentucky's Barren River Lake is rated excellent for hybrid striped bass in this year's fishing forecast. As a matter of fact, the tailwaters below the Barren River Lake Dam produced the current 20-pound, 8-ounce state hybrid record in the early 1990s. Rough River Lake is also rated excellent for these hybrid striped bass, fish-cut bait or chicken livers on the main lake points, or troll white bucktail jigs tipped with white curly tail grubs on mud flats during the fall. Rough River Lake also has outstanding bank fishing opportunities for hybrids in the tailwater. Finally, in southeastern Kentucky, Fish Trap Lake is the best hybrid striped bass fishery in the region. In the fall and into winter, target the lower lake by trolling a white bucktail jig and a grub or large silver spoons across the points. Search for schools of bait fish with electronics and then vertically jig some spoons right on top of those bait balls. Moving on, if you like trout fishing in Georgia, November 1st is a day to look forward to. That's when trout fishing on Georgia's delayed harvest trout streams will be in full swing. According to the Georgia Department of Natural Resources Wildlife Resources Division, while trout fishing can be found year-round in Georgia, there are five trout streams that are seasonally managed under special regulations called delayed harvest to increase angler success. These streams have catch and release regulations from November 1st through May 14th, and they're stocked monthly. This year, All five streams will be stocked with trout, and they include the Chattahoochee River from Soap Creek to U.S. Highway 41, the Toccoa River located on Forest Service land upstream of Lake Blue Ridge in Fannin County, Amicalola Creek on the Dawson Forest Wildlife Management Area, Smith Creek downstream of Unicoi Lake, and a portion of the Chattooga River from Georgia Highway 28 upstream to the mouth of Reed Creek. That's on Forest Service land bordering the state of South Carolina. Georgia isn't the only state offering quality trout fishing in November. The beaver state of Oregon does too. According to the Oregon Department of Fish and Wildlife, fall can be a great time for trout fishing in locations as diverse as the North Fork Sanium, above Detroit Reservoir, Foster Reservoir, the McKenzie River, the Fall River, Grand Prairie Reservoir, and the Grand Ronde, Umatilla, and Wallawa Rivers. As an added bonus, recent rains should be pushing some 15,000 coho salmon out of the Willamette River and into western Oregon tributaries such as the Yamhill, Malala, Rickreel, Lucky Amoot, and the Sanium. So, bring your twitching jigs or spinners and give these silvers a try. Finally, congratulations are in order to Brian Duhie, he resides in Grays Harbor County in Washington State, and he just shot what may be a new SCI record bull elk in Idaho this month. From outdoor life, we learned Dewey harvested the bull at the Broadmouth Canyon Ranch in southeast Idaho. This is a high fence operation, though it does cover 10,000 acres. The trip was a 50th birthday present for Dewey from his wife, and he had to wait for two years of COVID restrictions to pass before he could finally go. But He made up for lost time when he shot this monster bull, which has a rack that measured more than 648 inches and looks like they belong on a moose instead of an elk. It's incredible. You can check it out at OutdoorLife.com. Because this animal was shot during a private fenced ranch hunt, it does not qualify as a Boone and Crockett or Pope and Young club trophy because it doesn't comply with the fair chase ethics of these organizations. But... Safari Club International does recognize this sort of harvest, and with any luck, he will have the animal certified as a record through them soon. Congratulations, Brian. That's one heck of a bull, and oh yeah, happy belated birthday. And with that, we've covered your fishing and hunting reports from around the nation stick around we'll be checking in with george crumb the editor of fish alaska magazine during our next segment and we're going to talk all about catching huge rainbow trout out of the knack river telling you about sportsman's cove lodge in southeast alaska for a while now they're truly alaska's best lodge wildlife is abundant from bears and deer to eagles and whales and let's not forget the reason you're here the fishing halibut salmon lingcod, rockfish true cod and more it's all waiting for you in abundance at sportsman's cove lodge book your trip today at alaskasbestlodge.com that's alaskasbestlodge.com for sportsman's cove lodge
0: Ready to step up to a quality-built rifle or shotgun that's a true classic? Check out Henry Repeating Arms, American-made. There's over 200 models to choose from in a variety of finishes and calibers for hunters and target shooters. Many of these are lever-action models with a look right out of the Old West. Don't be deceived, though. Henry Repeating Arms are modern, rugged, accurate, reliable, and have a lifetime guarantee. Find out more and order a free catalog today at HenryUSA.com. That's HenryUSA.com. Hunt of a Lifetime is a nationwide nonprofit organization dedicated to providing hunting and fishing trips to youth 21 and under who suffer from life-threatening illnesses and disabilities. These adventures make big differences in the lives of those who participate in them, and in many cases are literally a dream come true that brings hope and therapy to their lives. Find out more, get involved, or donate today at huntofalifetime.org. That's huntofalifetime.org. huntofalifetime.org. Hunting and fishing are exercises in hope. Before you head into the woods, you hope to tag out on a deer you'll have to field dress. Before you make that first cast, you hope for a big fish to clean and fillet. When your hopes are realized, you'll need a sharp knife. Whether you sharpen that blade on a power sharpener in the shop or a manual sharpener in the field, WorkSharp has the tool for you. Look for WorkSharp products in sporting goods stores near you or online at WorkSharptools.com. From a bull elk ripping a bugle across the valley to wingbeats on a duck marsh, public lands and waters are integral to our outdoor heritage. Become a member of Backcountry Hunters and Anglers and stand up for our public lands and waters. Visit backcountryhunters.org today. I'm going to
1: take you fishing, honey. You're going to love it. Going to get up before the sun rise above us. Got a Bander pole and a leaky boat. Welcome back to America Bander Outdoors Bander Bander Radio. Bander I'm John Cruz. I'm We've got George Crumb on the line. He is the editor of Fish Alaska magazine. And if you've ever wanted to fish The Last Frontier, this is definitely the magazine for you. George, welcome to the show. Hey, John. Great to be here again. How are you? I'm doing well, and I thought today we would talk about one of your favorite places to go fishing in Alaska. It's the Naknek River. You're targeting huge rainbow trout. Tell us a little more about where this river is and how to get there. Sure, John,
2: and you're right. It is one of my favorite places ever.
1: The Naknek River is
2: near the community of King Salmon, Alaska, about 400 miles southwest of Anchorage. The beauty of King Salmon is it used to be an Air Force alert base, so there's a very large runway, and you can fly to King Salmon from Anchorage on large airplanes like 737s. So it's pretty easy to get to King Salmon.
1: When you go to the Naknek River, are you staying at a a lodge, or are you doing it yourself?
2: I've done both, and the uh, two outfits that I usually go to are Katmai Trophy Lodge, that's the place that I go if I want to be guided, which is not a bad idea for the knack because though the knack is only about 40 miles long, it is rather wide and fast and difficult to read and hard to know where the fish are actually going to be. They're not everywhere. So guided, cat my trophy lodge. When I do it myself, I go to Nack river camp and rent the boat, and they turn me loose on the river, and I, I charge up and down and, and make the guide's lives miserable because I do know the, the river fairly well.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about the fish there. Now, are these rainbow trout or are they steelhead? Because I know the knack-knack does enter into the ocean.
2: That is a great question. People ask that question all the time, and some people just say, well, they're so big and they look so much like steelhead, they must be steelhead. But the Alaska Department of Fish and Game has done radio tagging studies on these fish, and none of them have gone to the ocean. They swim upstream out of the Naknek River into Naknek Lake in the spring or early summer. They spend much of the summer in Naknek Lake, and then in the fall, they actually move downstream into the Naknek River where they overwinter and then spawn. That is what the large older fish do. I'm not sure what the smaller fish are doing, but that's what the big fish are doing.
1: If you go to the Nacnac River, let's talk about expectations. You know, a typical day, how many fish are you going to catch? What's an mm-hmm. average size rainbow you're going to catch? And what's what's a big one look like?
2: Okay, expectation setting is always important. I've been fishing the Nacnac for a bunch of years running. My expectation is that I'm going to hook at least one fish during a six-day fishing period that's going to be in excess of 30 inches long, a rainbow trout. Wow. Now, the reality is I usually hook more than one, and I've never had a year yet where I didn't land at least one fish over 30 inches long. What is a good day numbers-wise? Well, I would say that if I land a dozen fish during a day, it's probably a typical day. The average size of that fish is probably going to be around... 22 inches, although this year it seemed, I would say, the average was probably larger than that. This was a really good year for big fish, probably due to several years of excellent sockeye salmon returns. Of course, sockeye salmon, their eggs, their carcasses are basically what feed these rainbow trout.
1: Let's talk about how to catch them. Are you fishing them on the fly or using spinning gear? I always fly fishing in the knack knack. I don't even know for sure whether or not you
2: can use spinning gear, but I assume that you can. I have seen some people that appear to be back trolling plugs in the distance. But for me, the highest and best use of these fish is fly fishing because they will readily take a fly. And I fish the river in the fall when there are a lot of big fish present. And my preferred way is to swing large flies. Big sculpin imitations, big leech imitations, a lot of rabbit fur, marabou, Uh, Even intruder-type flies will work, usually in drab, dark colors. And uh, the other alternative for fly pattern is flesh flies. I tend to use big ones. Mine are usually four inches long or or so. So big flies, swinging, I use a switch rod most of the time. Some people use bay rods. Rods in the 7 to 9 weight range are appropriate because of the size of the fish as well as the size of the flies that you're trying to fish.
1: This sounds like a fantastic fishery. Are there other fish you can catch in the knack-knack besides rainbow trout and sockeye? Yes, and I've, I fish it primarily in
2: the fall. And other species that I've encountered in the fall in the knack itself are arctic grayling and coho salmon. But I have to tell you, the coho run is essentially over, and I only hook coho about every third year, it seems like. On the bright side, they always seem to be bright fish with sea lights on them. And you can keep them there if you want to. Now, there are many other fisheries close by. And if you're fishing with uh, any of the lodges, they'd be happy to arrange a fly out to nearby Brooks River where you can catch you know, two-foot rainbows, let's, let's be more realistic, 16 to 24-inch rainbows until your wrist is killing you and also see lots and lots of brown bears. Kulik is another location that you can fly into on very short notice. It's not that far away. And then other places, Ugasik, uh, tremendous Arctic char fishery for very large Arctic char. Those are all options nearby.
1: Oh, this sounds absolutely fantastic. You are definitely making me want to go to Alaska in the fall. Let's talk about something else, though. All fisheries have their challenges, and I understand that the knack-knack is no different. What's going on with some of the, the local residents who want to change things there?
2: Well, some of the people that have lived in the Naknek area for a long, long time have seen the increase and the growth in guide traffic, in particular lodge traffic, over the years. And like any place where there's good fishing, people who want to make their living guiding people to that fishery are going to go there. So the lodge traffic in the Naknek area has probably grown some over the last 10 or 15 years. Um, the local residents who moved out there originally probably thought they were going to have uh, the place to themselves forever, and uh, that's probably an unrealistic expectation. But what I see in the uh, in the coming board of fish meetings are some proposals in place looking to limit some of the traffic on the river, which sounds like a good thing uh, at first blush. I'm not sure it's necessary, though. Some people have cited that the rainbow trout population is really on the downturn, blah, blah, blah. In my own fishing experience over the past, let's say, six or eight years, the rainbow fishing in the knack during the time period that I'm going in late fall seems to have gotten better with each passing year. So I'm not sure what the real answer is, though. I know that one of the proposals looks to limit guides to the number of boats and anglers they can put on a river in a day. Is it needed? Mm-hmm. Can't say for sure. I can say during the period that I fish, basically the month of October. I don't think it's necessary. There is some traffic on the river. I wouldn't call it excessive. And like I said, the fishing seems to be getting better every year. So I'm, I'm not sure whether or not restrictions are necessary at this time.
1: Well, we'll keep our eyes open and see what happens on this one. And folks, if you want to stay in the loop about what's happening on the Naknek River and what's happening in Alaska in terms of fishing... The magazine to get is Fish Alaska Magazine. George turns this out on a regular basis, and it's available for subscription. Just Google Fish Alaska Magazine. You'll get there in a hurry. George, thanks for sharing this with us today on America Outdoors Radio. My pleasure, John. Fishing, Talk to you later. Honey. You're going to love it. Going to get up before the sun. Rise above us. We've got a bamboo pole and a leaky boat. It ain't much, but if you bail it'll float. I'm going to take you fishing, honey. We've been telling you about Sportsman's Cove Lodge in southeast Alaska for a while now. They're truly Alaska's best lodge. Wildlife is abundant, from bears and deer to eagles and whales. And let's not forget the reason you're here the fishing. Halibut, salmon, lingcod, rockfish, true cod, and more—it's all waiting for you in abundance at Sportsman's Cove Lodge. Book your trip today at Alaska'sBestLodge.com. That's Alaska'sBestLodge.com for Sportsman's Cove Lodge. Hunt of a Lifetime is a nationwide nonprofit organization Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, a nationwide group working to keep public lands in public hands. We've helped ban the use of drones for hunting. We help repair wildlife corridors and key riparian areas. We speak up against illegal ATV use. Please join this dynamic conservation group. Check us out at backcountryhunters.org. You're back in with America Outdoors Radio. I'm John Cruz. We are staying in the great state of Alaska for this next conversation, but it's not nearly as sunny of a conversation as you heard about the rainbow trout fishing on the Knack River. If you haven't heard, snow crab populations have collapsed in the Bering Sea. Up to 90% of the population has disappeared. We're talking about a billion crabs and the fishing for snow crabs in the Bering Sea has been canceled this year. With us here to weigh in on the situation is Rich Wheeler. He's a friend of ours. He's a co-owner of Cena Sea Seafood. They are located in Cordova, Alaska. Rich, it's good to have you on the show. Thanks, John. What is going on here? Why are all these snow crab disappearing? 2018, it was a boom, and all of a sudden, 2021, it's a complete bust, and all these crab have gone away. Yeah, so there's a couple things. One, water temperatures. I think that they're trying to figure it out
3: themselves. One, you know, Alaska is just a, one of the most unbelievably well managed fisheries in the world. Uh, it's a model for everybody. And so this isn't uh, necessarily an issue of overfishing. What we might be dealing with here is. Probably water conditions, temperatures. They're trying to figure out where these crab have gone to. Have they marked off the edge? Uh, they're no longer in the you know the place. And so we have you know warming temperatures out there, and they're trying to figure it out themselves. Uh, my other theory is that with the increase of halibut quota, there might be some you know these halibut are eating a lot of these crab. So that's something that's my personal opinion on that.
1: Interesting. I have also heard the theory that these snow crab have gone into Russian waters. Is that a possibility? That very well could be also. And, you know, colder temperatures,
3: and I think that they're all really sensitive to that.
1: And this is bad news. I mean, it's a huge economic blow, and it comes on the heels of another economic blow. The Bristol Bay king crab season for red king crab, that is also closed, and that's not just a one-year decline. Uh, These crabs have been in trouble for several years, and this is kind of Alaska's premier crab, isn't it?
3: Yeah. Yeah. Yep, it is. Alaska is known for its red king crab.
1: Well, you unfortunately have a front row seat to this economic disaster. I've been reading in certain publications that we're talking about a half a billion dollar loss in terms of the economy. $219 million alone just because of the loss of the snow crab season. And this affects not only fishing boats, crabbing boats, out of Alaska, but also from Oregon, and Washington make the trip up there every year, too. Yeah, yeah, Seattle,
3: particularly, you know, all these boats, a lot of them are based out of Seattle, and
1: it's a
3: real economic shame right now, and what's happening, and and the industry, you go into Ballard, and all these guys are, you know, down there working on their boats, and uh, getting them ready to go, and that trickle down, it's huge.
1: So you are located in the Gulf of Alaska, not the Bering Sea, is crabbing going to be available in some parts of Alaska, or is this pretty much a statewide shutdown?
3: No, there's parts of Alaska, they're still open, you know, off Kodiak and probably on this side of the Gulf. They're not going to be, as of right now, I don't think that they're going to be doing any, you know, fishing in Prince William Sound, you know, for crab, but, you know, there's fisheries open elsewhere, the small pockets.
1: So are we talking about the fact that there will be some snow crabs, some bear dice, some tanner crabs, some king crab, but just not yep. in the quantities that people are used to, which is going to really drive up the price?
3: Yeah, correct. Uh, we would think that it would drive up the price. We dealt with this all season long, you know, starting out in March, we were like, oh boy, we're, you know, we're at the end of the road. There's going to be a Russian embargo going on. And we thought that we, you know, really kind of hit jackpot there. And, you know, the economic, you know, status of what's happening in the country right now, it's kind of, it's a weird deal. Dungeness crab is, you know, the price of uh, the people that put up a huge pack. They're, you know, kind of taking it in the shorts right now.
1: There's Dungeness crab in Alaska too. Is there the possibility mm-hmm. that some of these crab boats will just kind of ship their sights and go after different crab species like Dungeness?
3: Uh not not the big boats like that. That this is a you know, those boats are uh it's a small boat fishery, like you know, fifty eight footers and whatnot, but you won't see the big boats like, you know, the wizard and all these, these boats on the deadly catch out there fishing Dunges, But you'll see the crew definitely shift over.
1: What does this mean? I mean, there's obviously a trickle-down effect, and we've kind of hit it on both ends. The consumer side with the lack of availability and higher prices, the fishermen side, you know, who just don't get to go fishing in a lot of cases this year. But then you've got all the people that are in the processing plants and, you know, places, whether it be like on Deadliest Catch at St. Paul or Dutch Harbor or, you know, all sorts of other coastal communities. What does this do to the communities?
3: Oh, it definitely puts a, a little hiccup in their, their giddy-up, trying to figure out what's going on. They'll, they'll have to, you know, outsource other, there's other fisheries that'll go on. I'm sure that, oh, I can think of a couple way out west processors that are probably, you know, going to be not open and you know, mothballing the, the facility for a season and, and hoping for better next or something else like that.
1: And I guess that's that's the next thing we should talk about here. Looking in the crystal ball, you know, is it going to remain bleak for a while? Or are there some signs that these crab populations might be coming back?
3: Well, you know, here again, you know, this all comes down to temperature conditions. You know, the ice pack, it, I, I don't know, John, to be quite honest. I just, I don't have my finger on that pulse enough to to make a judgment statement, but I, you know, I will say that, you know, the, the fisheries are managed really well up there and we're dealing with a, you know, a temperate climate up there that the the water temperatures are changing and, you know, it might be just a slight degree off. I did hear an optimistic count that, you know, there are some numbers that are showing signs of recovery or, you know, but saying that, I don't know if this
1: is an issue in overfish.
3: You know, this is, we're, we're
1: dealing with, I think, climate. Right. Right. Well, fingers crossed that things get better. But if you're talking climate change, that's definitely the long haul, not the short haul. In the meantime, let's talk about Sina Sea Seafood. Now, you primarily deal in fish, salmon, halibut, sablefish. But you do, pardon the phrase, dabble in crab, too. Are you going to have any crab available this year?
3: Yep. Last March, 60 North Seafoods, which is our small processing facility that I run up there in Cordova, we bought all the Prince William Sound Bear Dye. And we had a wonderful season, great working with the state of Alaska fishing game up there, and we put together a really nice pack.
1: Nice. And so when are those going to be for sale?
3: Uh, we have them available now. And we put together uh, a large quantity of uh, packs of uh, 20-pound boxes, or actually I do whatever Cena tells me to do, and we we put it in smaller packs. And so it's it's a pretty nice pack of crab we put up this year.
1: Oh, that sounds fantastic. As I was talking about with another guest, you know, crab is a great meal for the holidays, but so is fish, and you've got some of the finest fish around. And your big deal is sustainable wild-caught fish. We're talking about Copper River sockeye salmon. We are talking about sockeye and king and silver salmon out of Prince William Sound. Again, we're talking about halibut. We're talking about sablefish. And you deliver this right to a person's door Carefully packaged, meal-sized portions. Are you expecting a big year this holiday season?
3: Yes, we are. Yep, Uh, we put up a really nice pack this year. I will speak specifically to the Kings, the Copper River Kings that we put up this year. In my time of fishing, this was probably, in my opinion, uh, one of the nicest King runs that I have seen. In my time of being up in, you know, Cordova, really nice fish, beautiful fish, uh, super oily I have never eaten so much king salmon as, as I have this year.
1: <laughs> well, folks, you can have some of this king salmon too. And the website to go to is senasea.com. Let me spell that for you S E N A S E A dot com. They've got it packed for you. Again, in meal sized portions, they've got smoked salmon, they've got spreads. Again, they've got halibut, they've got sablefish, all sorts of wonderful seafood. And yes, they've got crab too. So go there today to com. That's S-E-N-A-S-E-A, senac.com, and use the promo code OUTDOORSRADIO for 10% off your entire order. There's also another promo code you'll see on site that, hate to say it, it's an even better deal than what I can offer, so you might want to check that out too. com. that's the website to go to. Rich, thanks for weighing in on the situation today on America Outdoors Radio. Thanks, John. This portion of the show was brought to you by our friends at WorkSharp. They're the fine folks out of Ashland, Oregon, who make knife and tool sharpeners that you can use whether you're hunting or fishing or camping or maybe in your shop maybe in your kitchen for all of the knives and tools you need sharpened every day when you work and play workshop tools can be found online at workshoptools.com or you can find them in sporting goods stores and hardware stores all over our great nation just look for workshop products to sharpen your knives and your tools because nothing is worse than trying to get the job done right with a dull blade
0: in today's news i'm cooking a brisket let's go to Jill at my house to see how it's going
1: this is your house and you brought me and the crew to check on your brisket
0: that's correct, Jill.
1: I was it looking? This is a Camp Chef woodwind Wi-Fi. You know you, you can check your cook right from your phone, right?
0: I didn't know that was an option, Jill. Well, never mind. But before you leave, can you feed the dog? What? No. No. When we get back, why is my check engine light on? The answer may shock me.
1: Why book at Sportsman's Cove Lodge? Why is Alaska like no other
4: place on earth? It hasn't changed in thousands of years. From the way you get here
0: on a float plane to the way you go out with the guides and the boats, it's just
1: a professional experience. And I said, this is as good as it gets. I said, if you can't catch fish here, you can't catch fish anywhere. Your experience with us will leave you speechless. Book now at alaskasbestlodge.com. Welcome back to America Outdoors Radio, and we are once again welcoming back Jared Wicklin. He's the public relations manager for both Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever. As you may recall, we had Jared on recently to give us the 2022 Pheasant Hunting Forecast, and now it's time to talk about the 2022 Quail Hunting Forecast. Jared, welcome back to the show.
4: Hey, John. Thanks for having me back. It's uh, It's hunting season. What can we say? It's the best time of year. <laughs> oh,
1: you're right. You are absolutely right. And folks, if you go to quailforever.org, there's a tab up there on the front page where you can access this state-by-state report. And I tell you that because we're not going to be able to get through all of them today, but we're going to hit some highlights. And we're going to start off in the Midwest. Let's start off with the state of Iowa. You wrote this one up yourself, didn't you, Jared?
4: I did. I did. I used to work down there, and I've got a lot of uh, state agency staff that are still part of our chapters, so it was nice to catch up with them and and talk a little bit about Iowa. So, Iowa's coming off in in 2018. Iowa was coming off of basically a 30-year high for quail numbers. Uh, They have had some ice storms and some other things in the last year, especially in the southeast and the eastern side of the south-central regions. You know, quail are a little bit harder to find this year, but as you move further west and south in the state, quail hunting can actually be pretty good, especially down in the southwest corner. You go in and look at our report that we've got listed online. There's there's places where uh, in the Southwest where the August roadside survey jumped from 1.69 quail per route last year to 4.38 quail this year. And considering the long term average is 1.32 quail per route, the southwestern corridor this year looks looks really good. If you can if you can find them on public land or do some door knocking.
1: Oh, that sounds fantastic. And we're not going to get into Missouri much today, but I can tell you similar results, folks, up in the north central and northwest prairie area of Missouri, huge increases in quail number, which spell good hunting up there. But instead of Missouri, let's talk about Nebraska. This is a state most people equate with pheasant hunting, but there's quail to be had there too, isn't there?
4: Yeah, there certainly are. Nebraska um, is a great place for going and doing a mixed bag hunt. Uh, we were a little worried early on with the amount of drought that we saw in some parts of the state, but actually whistle counts were up 30% statewide in Nebraska this year. The south, southeastern and south central uh, have the best quail numbers right now. Anywhere in the Midwest or the Great Plains, um, wherever you wherever you want to focus, you know, looking at where crop fields intersect with weedy edges and brushy habitat. You need to have all those three things in order to have quail. And if you find that, that's where they're going to be. So Nebraska is set up for a pretty decent season. Uh, if you're looking for a mixed bag hunt, and we obviously talked about the pheasant forecast last time too. And uh, if you're hunting in South Central or Southeastern, there's plenty of uh, wildlife management areas and waterfall production areas and open fields and waters programs that Pheasants Forever helps to put on the landscape with the state agency for people to go and chase those
1: species. Well, staying in the general area, we've got to talk about the Sunflower State of Kansas. Yes, sir. Really, Really become well known as one of America's premier whale hunting destinations. How is it sizing up for this year?
4: Yeah, it wasn't that long though. Just a couple years ago, Kansas actually took away the top state in the country as far as quail hunting is concerned. They've had a lot of good years in a row, and uh, things are looking pretty decent this year, especially in central and in eastern Kansas. It's a great place to look for quail. People might know those as the Smoky Hills or Flint Hills regions. Whistle counts uh, for the spring were above average for both. And really, you know, in the Midwest and Great Plains this year, just like it is out west, the story of quail has everything to do with the amount of moisture that they received or lack thereof. We're still going through a major drought in a lot of areas, especially in, in western quail haunts. And anywhere where you can get some moisture, looks like we're getting pretty decent production. Kansas is great from the fact that they have one of the best walk-in hunting programs in the country, the WEHA program. They've got over a million acres enrolled in that. And yeah, central and and eastern Kansas uh, look good for quail this year if you're looking at taking a trip.
1: I've got to ask, what was the top state prior to Kansas dethroning it?
3: Uh, Texas.
1: Oh, well, I guess that's what we need to talk about next. But looking at the forecast, it looks like drought has really hammered a lot of areas of the Lone Star State. That's not good for quail, is it?
4: Yeah, uh, Texas is really coming off. They ebb and flow with the amount of moisture that they get. You can go back just a few years, you know, 2013 through 2015. I've talked to people down there that were moving up to 50, 50 coveys a day, which is just prime quail hunting uh, at its finest. But then, you know, you throw you throw in a few years of bad weather uh, where they aren't getting any moisture, no bug production, no nesting habitat production, and that tends to happen. Your your quail populations go go up and down, sort of feast or famine. So one bright spot for Texas this year would be uh, out in uh, complete western Texas. You know, their scaled or what people know them as blue quail numbers are actually looking pretty good. It's a very western side of the state, and there are some public areas out there to go and chase scaled quail. Fifty.
1: Coveys a day i can't even fathom that number i hunt in central washington state and if i bust three or four coveys, i think i've had a fantastic day oh my gosh
4: yeah i i remember it wasn't that long ago i was actually hunting uh oklahoma sort of right on the texas border and that was during that 2014 and same thing i mean just public land was really good private land was good as well and uh yeah just a lot of coveys it's hard to hard to fathom sometimes
1: all right. Well, let's move a little bit west to New Mexico and Arizona. If we're going to talk about desert quail, we've got to talk about these two states.
4: Yeah, uh New Mexico and Arizona both are just great places. Um I think they've they've actually seen an uptick in the number of of bird hunters to go there, especially during get later on in the winter just a great place to go to and enjoy some mild temperatures and their quail season goes goes well after the new year. So in New Mexico, you're looking at, you've got four species with a great mixed bag to go and chase and, you know, enjoying that late season weather, especially in Southwest New Mexico, uh, Hidalgo, Grant and Luna counties. And they're talking like quail numbers are are looking pretty decent this year. So if you're going to, going to Me- New Mexico, a lot of public land down in that Southwest region of the state.
1: All right, last stop is uh, where I live, the Pacific Northwest, Washington and Oregon. We had a real cold, wet spring and east of the Cascades in both states, it's been bone dry all summer. We literally just got our first rain in three months just this week. How's that looking for our quail?
4: Yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, on our, both both of our reports, uh, Washington was expected to hopefully see a, just a small up, uptick in quail numbers. You guys had a very mild winter, but you're absolutely right. The cold and wet spring held on for a long time and probably impacted nesting quail chicks. Same for Oregon as well. The, the eastern edge of Washington, uh, there's lots of young quail broods that were reported being seen. Um, and they're expecting better hunting than last year. So we'll see how some of it
1: shakes out. But, uh, yeah, those cold, wet
4: springs followed by drought don't do any favors to some of our our favorite birds.
1: All right. Well, (laughs) folks, if you want to find out more or if we didn't cover your state, the website to go to, again, is quailforever.org. That's quailforever.org. Just look for the 2022 hunting forecast. And if you love quail as much as Jared and I do, consider joining this organization that is all about conserving our quail and the habitat they live in. The website again, quailforever.org. Jared, thanks as always for making the time. Thanks, John. Good luck this fall. Speaking of hunting, if you are looking for a new rifle or shotgun, you really should check out the lineup that's available at henryusa.com because Henry Repeating Arms they've got over 200 models of rifles and shotguns primarily lever action rifles and all of their firearms are made in America by a family owned company and you are bound to find something you're going to like whether you're after squirrels and rabbits or maybe after deer or elk or bear Or maybe a fall turkey. And wouldn't that taste good for Thanksgiving? All the firearms from Henry Repeating Arms. You're going to find they're all accurate. They're all reliable. They look fantastic. And you'll be able to find one at a dealer near you. Just go to henryusa.com. Look for authorized dealers. Check out the lineup. If you have any questions, just contact the award-winning customer service staff and get yourself a rifle or shotgun from Henry Repeating Arms today. Or better still... Get one for somebody you love for Christmas. They will definitely love that as a present. The website again, henryusa.com. And don't forget to ask your free decals and catalog while you're there. On that note, it's time to wrap things up. But as always, I want to thank our great guest today. That includes Jared Wicklin from both Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever for the latest hunting forecast. To Rich Wheeler with Sina Sea Seafoods. Rich and his wife Sina do a fantastic job of providing you wild-caught Alaskan seafood, whether it's salmon, halibut, sablefish, or shellfish, delivered right to your door check out their products at cnse.com and let's not forget george crumb he's becoming quite a regular guest when it comes to alaska fishing and that's because he's the editor of fish alaska magazine he knows quite a bit about this subject and if you're looking to get the latest on the alaskan fishing scene well you should consider a subscription to fish alaska magazine here's hoping that you are healthy and well in the days ahead and here's hoping you get out there too i mean fall is the best time of year to get out there for both fishing and hunting as far as i'm concerned so don't lose out on the opportunity be blessed and remember this it is your country and your outdoors so get out there and enjoy it